So I've never preached to a camera before. I mean, there have always been cameras on while I preach, but typically I can look at people in the eyes. As an extrovert, this is already difficult for me, just being not with lots of people. And I'm pretending to look around because it feels so natural. But I know that all of our church is right there, watching us, joining with us through the online platforms. And something you should know about me as a preacher is that although the content and the form of my sermon changes every week, my order of things is always the same. For me, the sermon doesn't actually begin until after I pray the prayer for illumination. That prayer that says, Lord, may your words, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, that prayer, I'll pray it in just a minute. But to me, the sermon itself doesn't actually begin until after that prayer. So I, I will typically read scripture and then make note of anything pertinent for us that week in worship or for what's going on in our church. I'll recap the series that we're in and then I will offer that prayer. And so with that in mind, before we actually begin this morning's sermon, there are a few things that I would like to talk about for just a moment. First, I would like to say how proud I am to be a pastor of this church. I have been amazed by and so pleased by the way in which so many members of our Dauphin Way community are trying to offer support, that are trying to offer care to our city to all of those in our community in various ways. I've seen posts from Lynn Davidson who said that she will go on grocery runs. Christine Sullivan posted that she'll help with childcare. Natalie Bell said that they're doing the backpack ministry still and they're gonna be meeting with the principal tomorrow to discuss what's the best way they can serve. They're actually in the basement right now packing some bags up. So please know church, there will be a meeting tomorrow where as a staff, we talk about how we can best care for our community. We'll talk about our programming, we'll talk about what it looks like, but most importantly, we'll talk about how can we be the church during this time? Because we know that you are already looking for ways to do that. And so we want to put forward ideas and options and possibilities that all of us can participate in, ways in which we can join together to serve Mobile. And so please be on the lookout if you missed our announcements earlier this morning at the beginning of worship, we said that anything that comes out about the future of what we're gonna be doing in programming, about what's gonna be going on in the life of our church as far as worship, our facilities, any announcements we have, they will post to our website and to our Facebook page. There will be a button at the top of our website starting tomorrow that you can click on. It will take you to the updates on our Facebook page. And so please be paying attention for those I also want to thank Justin Merrick and Kevin West. They are here serving, making sure the live stream works. Kevin is downstairs going back and forth between the cameras and the sound. Justin is over in Moore Hall along with Patrick Dang doing the sound and the videos. And Justin even brought in cameras so that there would be some sort of video quality over in Moore Hall. And so we're thankful for that. Those are not our normal cameras and that is not what our normal live stream looks like. And so we give thanks for all of these who come to serve this morning. And lastly, before I recap our series and begin our sermon, I just wanna say, I know that this time is filled with uncertainty. There's a great deal of confusion about how much or how little we should be concerned. Voices are crying out that we are not doing enough as a global community. 
while others are saying that we are worried too much about all these things. What I would like to say is that I believe life matters. And I know that might sound simple and obvious, but life is a gift from God. And I truly believe that our efforts as a church and those of governments and organizations all around the world are to protect life. And so I know that there's been a great deal of confusion these past few days. And we're all trying to sort things out. We're trying to figure out what is best for our families, for our companies, for our schools, for our churches. But please trust me when I say I believe that we are all approaching this as a church, as prayerfully and as carefully as possible to protect those that are most vulnerable. That is a message that is at the core of the gospel. Jesus throughout his ministry is looking out for the most vulnerable. And so that is what we as a church will do. We will consider and we will pray and we will talk about what can we do to protect all of us and to reach out and care for the most vulnerable. And so with that in mind, Michael and I um, asked if we should rewrite our sermons to be very contextual just to today. But ultimately we thought, you know, it's still Lent. This is still a time for which we can journey through this liturgical season. And if there's ever an appropriate time to think about Lent, it's right now. And so we thought that we would continue with our series. We are in the middle of a series called Power and Passion. That on the journey to the cross, the, the time in which we call the Passion of the Christ, we recognize the power that happened whenever Jesus died. And it makes us aware of the power we all have to make a difference on this earth for the kingdom. We've been doing character studies, really. Our first week with Pontius Pilate, last week with his wife, Miss Pilate, about the power they had, how one of them washed their hands and the other chose to take it on. But there are more characters, and there's more to these stories, and so we want to continue with them. And so this morning, we would like to talk about Joseph and Nicodemus. Joe and Nick, if you will. That's how I'll refer to them most of the time. So with all of that, will you go with me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, I was hoping it'd be so loud that you'd all be watching from around the, that I would still hear it. Did you say amen, Colleen? And all God's people said, thank you, Colleen. Most of you who've heard me preach before know that, that I tend to preach better whenever I can engage with people. And so it's a good thing we didn't write a whole bunch of like funny one-liners and jokes into this sermon because without knowing if they're funny or not, it would make things very difficult for me. And so I'll just make sure to pay attention closer to my notes this week since I cannot really feel how well this is going or not. But I know that we have put together a, a quality word from scripture this morning. And so we, we know that the guy Joseph that we have read about this morning is from somewhere called Arimathea. The Bible doesn't necessarily say where Nicodemus is from, but I would imagine that he's probably from Mobile, right? 
I know that sounds highly unlikely, but everything in the Bible suggests that Nicodemus has a very Southern way of handling conflict. I mean, think about it. Nicodemus, like a good Southerner, knows that whereas it is okay to have contrary opinions, the only appropriate place to express those unpopular opinions is outside of the meeting, right? As good people in the South, we're not quick to to offer our concerns or consternations in the middle of a pleasant meeting. The Gospel of John tells us that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council for Jerusalem. And apparently Nicodemus and some of his buddies on the Sanhedrin had been sitting in the parking lot after one of the meetings, like some of us have done on an occasion. Have you ever been to a meeting and said, man, I wish I had said this, or know that you had somebody in the meeting that might have agreed with you, and y'all could talk about these things in the parking lot after? The first time we actually encountered Nicodemus is when he came alone at night to give Jesus a message. He said to Jesus, good teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. If you think about it, what Nicodemus is saying to Jesus was exactly the sort of thing that the Pharisees were not supposed to believe. If there had been an official Pharisee annual conference with giveaway hats and pins and inspiring stories, they would have ended the gathering by making some sort of statement of belief or affirmation of faith that included this line, Jesus was not worth listening to. And so when Nicodemus says, we know you are from God, he's not speaking for the majority. He's not talking about the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, all of his other religious elites. But since like us, Nicodemus has good Southern sensibilities. We know when Nicodemus says we, exactly who he's talking about. He's talking about those who have unpopular opinions. Opinions they would rather not share in public. The we to which Nicodemus is referring are those who meet after the meeting. They are the ones who want to catch up a couple days later and talk about all the things they should have said or could have said or wanted to say, but they couldn't say those because, well, why can't we say these things actually? Why couldn't they speak up? Why don't we speak up during meetings? Why don't we say our peace whenever it's on our hearts? Why don't we just tell in front of God and everybody what we're actually thinking? Why don't we speak up? I think part of it is because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Or really, we don't want to be blamed for hurting somebody's feelings. We don't care if people get their feelings hurt. We just don't want to be the people that cause the trouble. We don't want to be the ones that make waves. We will let somebody else do that for us. It's easier to just stay silent. In fact, Nicodemus was actually happy to let someone else cause trouble for him. In John chapter 7, you can read about the time that the Pharisees sent a bunch of guards to arrest Jesus. The guards came back and said, we couldn't arrest him. This Jesus seems legit to us. And the Pharisees got all high and mighty and they said, have you been deceived? Look around. Have any of these experts believed in him? Has a Pharisee believed? Of course not. 
But then John actually tells us that Nicodemus was sitting right there, watching the whole thing, saying nothing. He believed in Jesus. He had friends who believed in Jesus, but he wasn't going to tell anybody that, or at least not in public. The only place where he was going to let that fact reach the light of day was in the parking lot after the meeting. I wonder if that little incident with the guards, after that he got together with his other meeting after the meeting members. Maybe they got got together and said, somebody really ought to speak up. Maybe Joseph of Arimathea was even there. Another gospel tells us that Joseph was also on the Sanhedrin, just like Nicodemus. So maybe Nick and Joe and the rest of the parking lot gang They were all sitting around sipping tea and talking about the things they wanted to say but couldn't say. They wanted to jump up and shout, I believe in him, but they couldn't. They couldn't say that to Caiaphas or to Ananias. They couldn't expose the truth about their feelings to all their old friends. After all, they had to live with these people the rest of their lives How could they expose themselves to be so vulnerable and tell people what they actually think? How could they put themselves in that position if they knew that they were going to spend the rest of their lives with those people? This is the second time in the past three weeks we have seen how quickly peace becomes the enemy of justice. Often we think that peace and justice are the same thing. But in fact, two weeks ago, we saw Jesus through the eyes of Pilate. And and Pilate had been given the job of keeping peace in Jerusalem. And we saw that the way Pilate Pilate kept peace was with armies and brutality. We saw how Pilate cared so much about keeping things calm that he quit caring about the truth. And he quit caring about what was right. When Jesus came before him, Pilate publicly announced, this man is probably innocent, but go ahead and kill him if that means it keeps everybody calm, if it keeps the peace. Pilate had the power, but he didn't have any passion. He didn't really care about what was right. Joseph and Nicodemus should have been different. They did care. They had passion for Jesus. They were secret disciples of Jesus. They believed he was from God and they followed his teaching, but they were determined not to cause any trouble. They too just wanted to keep the peace. I don't know if that makes them cowards or if that makes them smart. They're smart enough to know what happens to folks who keep bringing up uncomfortable truths. Just ask the father of a special needs child, how many times you can ask the world to slow down before you become labeled as a complainer. Ask a teenage boy how often he can ask his friends, what would Jesus do before he gets uninvited to the party? Ask the woman who has been sexually assaulted why she has kept it in secret. Ask the church visitor who was pointedly told that her newborn is welcome in the nursery during worship. Ask this mother how deeply one person will wound another to keep the peace. 
Look at our world right now. I wonder what things would be like today if we weren't so worried about keeping the peace. Ask the person who sat silently in Sunday school what they wanted to say, but they didn't. I bet that goes on in our church a lot more than we realize or care to admit. I bet there are people who have left our church because it was just more peaceful to do so. They didn't wanna cause problems or voice their opinions because they knew, because they have Southern sensibilities. And it's better to keep the peace than to speak out. None of these people are cowards. None of the people I just named, not Joseph or Nick. They're just being smart because they figure it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. It would have just upset everybody. This is what unity and peace look like when they come from the world. Unity and peace look like silence but they sacrifice justice. The world says that peace and quiet are the same thing. If we never know each other's minds, then we will never have to fight. And if that means that some people are silenced for the sake of the greater good, then that's just the way it is. Joseph and Nick, they understood all of this, and so when Jesus stood before them and all the Pharisees and all who remained silent for peace's sake, they had to make a choice. Remember, Jesus went before the Sanhedrin the night he was arrested. He went before the ruling council, and they determined his fate. They could keep the peace, Joseph and Nick could, by just staying silent when Jesus was brought before them or they could do justice by speaking up for what is right. I wonder if you had to choose between peace and justice, what that would look like. Psalm 85 tells us that one day, on the day of the Lord, peace and justice will kiss. Which sounds ironic if you've never considered that they are in fact not the same thing. The psalmist knows all too well that if we just strive to keep the peace, we will never accomplish justice. And that until we strive for justice, we will never experience true peace. But as they sat there on the council on that night, the night Jesus was condemned and was soon to be sentenced to death, Joe and Nick must have felt like keeping the peace meant slapping justice in the face. I wonder after the meeting what they said to each other in the parking lot. The kind of peace that Joe and Nick chose is not the peace of Jesus. Earlier on that same awful night, just before he was arrested, Jesus had a gathering of his unsecret disciples, those who followed him, and they were sharing the Passover meal, the final meal Jesus had with them. And he said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I give you not as the world does, Don't be troubled or afraid. When Christ offers peace, he offers himself. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he never meant that he brought silence and tranquility. When Jesus preached in his own hometown, they tried to throw him off a cliff. His own family thought that he was out of his mind. 
Whenever Jesus preached, Jesus would preach and the demons would start to shriek and they would yell. Women would sit at his feet as if they were men. Everywhere Jesus went, controversy and disagreement followed. And he said he brought peace. And it only got more uncertain after Jesus ascended to heaven. The New Testament is full of the church's early arguments. Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And yet even with all of these unexpected voices giving witness to all these unexpected things that Jesus is doing, the church marched on with Jesus at its center. They didn't agree all the time, but they continued to spread the gospel. They argued and they bickered and then they worshiped and they reconciled and they broke bread and they shared what they had with each other and they prayed that God would lead them out of the mess they were making. Wouldn't that be something? We are here today because God did actually lead us out of that and God is leading us through that that in spite of it all, God continues to reconcile all things to God's self. And that if we do the justice and the work of God, that we will experience God's peace. Whatever kind of peace that that early church had, it wasn't quiet. It wasn't just tranquil. It wasn't the kind of peace that the world gives when people just go along to get along or leave in silent protest without anybody knowing what they actually think or feel. Sometimes we think that if we all know Jesus, if we all just love him and seek him, we will never disagree or we will never hurt one another. But when I read the Bible, I, it sure seems like if we know Jesus and we love and we seek him, then Jesus will sometimes be busy teaching us how to disagree without breaking faith with one another. He'll be teaching us how to live in peace while we also hold each other accountable. He may even be teaching us how to be hurt and teaching us that hurt will not overcome us. The preacher, Nadia Bowles Weber, used to give a speech to, to people that were new at her church where she used to serve. She would tell them, I'm glad you love it here, but at some point, I will disappoint you or the church will let you down because we are not perfect. But please decide on this side of that happening, if it ever happens, that you will stick around. Because if you leave, you will miss the way that God's grace comes in and fills in the cracks of our brokenness. And it's too beautiful to miss. Don't miss it. If we run away, every time we're hurt, if we are afraid to speak up our peace, <laughs> if we're afraid to tell people what we really think, we miss the chance to see the God who reconciles all things, to see the way God fills in the cracks of our brokenness with his peace, to experience the justice that comes through struggle. I wonder what the Pharisees missed because Nicodemus and Joseph were afraid to disappoint them. 
I wonder what power our church misses when we've been disappointed, but we talk about what someone has done, should do, or has done without ever talking to that person themselves. I wonder what sorts of things have never changed because we've never spoken up. I wonder what power we are missing because we keep quiet about our passion. What power is the church missing because you have been silent about your passion? Do not fear. Jesus said, my peace, I leave you. These are the things I wonder, but what I know is that it's not too late. Nick and Joe may have been secret disciples, but they were also the only ones who showed up to claim Christ's body. After it was all over, when all the others had fled, all the people who followed him in public, Joe and Nick, they were the ones that were there. The Gospel of Mark says that Joseph didn't just ask for the body of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark says that Joseph asked boldly for the body of Jesus. And rather than see Jesus' body discarded and forgotten, they cared for it. They anointed it. They gave it a place of honor in Joseph's family's tomb. They had been silent for too long. But once it was all done, they found their voice. And two days later, a few women stopped by to see what Joseph and Nicodemus had done. And I wonder if it was not for these two, how would the woman have found their Lord? How will we find God if you keep silent? May we all find our voice and find the day where peace and justice kiss. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.